Well, welcome back for this week's weekly market recap featuring Lance Roberts. Lance, how you doing? Uh, I, I'm surviving. It was a week. <laughs> but we're here. <laughs> All right. Yeah, amazing. So this is our third one of these folks. Uh, we're still early on in doing this program. And the week uh, that we just had threw us a big curveball. So Lance, why don't we jump right into that right away? You know, sure. we'll, I'll ask you what the theme of this week was. It might have been what the hell just happened. But Give us a sense of, of what defined the week here. Yeah, so I would say the word of the week is this is all Adam's fault because since we started this whole thing, <laughs> the market's been going down. So anyway, no, seriously, the, the word of the week is uh, really options expiration. Uh, you know, there's an interesting kind of thing that sets up, you know, during the course of the year, um, people will buy what we call leap options. And these are options that expire in the next year. So let's say I'm in March of 2021 and I think I wanna buy, write some calls or buy some puts on an index or a stock. And I buy the leap, which is expiring in January of the following year. So that would be this month. And we had $3.3 trillion worth of options expiration on stocks and ETFs and uh, indexes all expiring this week and particularly on Friday. So now why is that important? Well, because when those options expire and a lot of those leaps are written as puts. So when those options expire, a couple of things have to happen. Either the stocks have to be bought or sold accordingly to what's happened with the contract expiration. And then those contracts have to be rolled over and, and pushed out until whatever other month the investor wants. Uh, that always leads to uh, volatility in the market. Sometimes we can see that push markets up. And unfortunately, like we saw on Friday, uh, that really put downside pressure on markets, which were already under pressure to begin with. So, you know, that was really kind of where we are. That's going to give us some relief uh, starting next week. But unfortunately, next week, <laughs> uh, next week's word of the week will be Fed because uh, the Fed meeting is uh, next week and we'll find out just how dovish or hawkish the Fed is gonna be with the markets where they are now. Okay, so we had, uh, you mentioned it's like 3.3 trillion, I think you yeah. said of, of, of options expiring. Uh, first off, just put that in context. Is that, is that an awful lot compared to how uh, many usually come up? Second largest in history. Okay, so, so it was an aberrant volume, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, from a technical standpoint, so that the markets have been been sliding down over the past two weeks, or you know, since we started this, basically. So yeah, I'll take the blame. Um, <laughs> but uh, a lot of a lot of technicians are noting that um, a lot of the indices have you know come down to either touch or punch through their 200-day moving average, and actually, actually, maybe all three of them might have actually broken beneath yeah. them. Uh, today's big battle was the S and P, uh, and uh, it uh, hit its 200 DMA, it then bounced, which is what you would expect, but that failed, came back. I believe it closed below it. So is there concern that that there's enough technical or that there's now technical damage that could then open, you know, an air pocket beneath? So, you know, two things. I think, look, I think moving averages are incredibly important. Well, we watch those very carefully. Now, the one, the, the problem with moving averages is, is this, is that and you can go back in history and look at this. Uh, just look at the course of just really kind of the last few years in the markets. And what you'll see is that with regularity, we'll see the market break the 50-day moving average, break the 100-day, break the 200-day, and then immediately recover back above it and then take off back to the highs. Um, you know, so the problem with moving averages is, and, and we're going to get a little bit technical here for a minute, so just bear with me. 
um, the, the, the way to use a moving average is that when you break it, the initial break, you want to pay attention to it. It's certainly a warning. And this also goes with stop loss levels. I was having this conversation earlier today with a, with a prospect. Stop loss levels are just important. Set a stop on a stock, you break that stop level, you should sell it. The, the problem and the reason that most investors wind up abandoning moving averages and they wind up banding using stop loss levels is because of these breaks of these averages or breaks of stop losses, then the stock immediately turns around and starts running back up again, and they wound up selling the bottom. So the way we use them, and look, you can argue with me and say that's not the way to do it. It's just, it works for us. So we do it and everybody kind of manages their money their own way. But these are warning signs. So we break them. We're paying very close attention to those. Now, the market will likely rally here in the next couple of days. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a little bit more technical backdrop of what happened in the market today in just a second. So we'll get there. But we're likely to see a rally in the market. Now, if the market rallies back to the moving average and fails, turns lower, now you've got a confirmed break. Now you sell your stocks because that's where you're going to see a lower level in the market. If the market immediately recovers within one to two days above that moving average, then you don't need to, it's, it's not a valid break. And so that break has been reversed and typically the markets continue to rally up. Now, one of the things that we think we're going to have here very shortly is we're going to have a, a bounce in the market. Now, there's a difference between a buy the dip opportunity and a opportunity to potentially sell at a little bit better price. And I think we're about to have a sell at a little better price opportunity. Markets are not unfamiliar with the laws of physics. And when you take a look at how prices move over time and the reason markets move up and down and the reason that moving averages are important. And, and again, so if you're watching moving averages then you have to understand why moving averages are important. Moving averages are the average price of a stock over time, which means that over a certain period, 50, 100 days, 200 days, the, the market had to trade above and below that average. That's how you get the average, right? So you got to be above and below that level. So importantly, those moving averages act like gravity. And so the further that price moves away from that gravitational pull, the more likely it's going to be dragged back to it again. Now, what physics says is that if I take a rubber band and I stretch it as far as I can in one direction and I let it go, physics says the rubber band will retrace that move an equal distance in the opposite direction before coming back to the middle. In other words, I will be above the moving average, I will then go below the moving average, and then come back to it at some point. We are now, so when we can, so how do we measure this, the length of that rubber band? And we can measure that by deviations from the moving average. So how far have we deviated from that moving average? So if I'm one standard deviation, I've pulled it a little bit. If I'm two, if I'm three, four standard deviations, I'm pulling that rubber band more and more tightly. Now, we can get into all the technical stuff about standard deviation. If you're really interested in what two and three standard deviations mean, just go Wikipedia, you'll find it. But at three standard deviations, what that says is I've put in about 99.9% .9 of all possible price movement is baked into that move. So I, have, I am really stretching that rubber band. Right now, on Friday, the, mark, the NASDAQ closed four standard deviations below the 50-day moving average. All that means is that that rubber band is very stretched to the downside, so it won't take much to begin to have a retracement in that index or stocks 
Amazon, four standard deviations below the moving average. We're, we're seeing a lot of stocks like that right now. And when you have those extreme deviations, you're likely to see that, that stock or that index bounce and it'll bounce back to the moving average. And that's where that's the point to where you say, look, I'm a little worried about the markets. I'm going to take some money off the table. And this is an important point. Uh, I've, got, I've gotten more than about a billion questions over the last two days since Jeremy Grantham was so nice to talk about the bubble <laughs> and the coming 45% decline in stocks. He's absolutely right. Um, I've got a chart that's going to be in this weekend's newsletter talking about standard deviations of, of the movements. And, and most, most importantly, it's the distance of the, the market from the exponential growth trend since 1900. We are currently 192% above the exponential growth trend. That's, that level has never been attained at any other point in history. And all that means is, once again, is that the markets are more deviated from the long-term mean than at any other point in history. So an eventual reversion will take that market back to its long-term mean. That's about 40 to 50% from where we are now. And while that seems terrible, and look, I'm not going to discount that a 40 to 50% decline is terrible. It is terrible. But that only gets you back to about 2016, 2015 in the markets, right? I mean, you're going to lose about five years worth of gains, but that's how grossly extended the market is from normal levels of where markets should trade. And, you know, this is a function of corporate stock buybacks. Um, in fact, if you stripped out corporate stock buybacks, the market would be around 2,500, not 4,000, or actually about 2,000, not 4,000. So, you know, these are the, the dynamics that if we begin to see reversals, they're going to feed on themselves pretty quickly. Now, this all assumes, of course, that the Fed just does nothing and says, you know, we're done. We're just going to let it go. That's not going to be the case. The, the, you know, the question is only when and at what magnitude of the decline it takes before the Fed abandons, uh, you know, tightening monetary policy to come rushing back in to save the financial markets. Yeah, absolutely. And folks that uh, uh, really enjoyed kind of what Lance just laid out there, um, this video is being released at the same time as Wealthion's online conference. Uh, we're talking about exactly all of that stuff um, in terms of. How bad could it get when, my, when the Fed's breaking point, capitulating point, when it might come back in and, and, and start easing again, all that stuff. So if you're fascinated about that, well, um, you know, we're already talking about it over in the conference, but um, <laughs> there will be replay videos of that conference for folks that are interested, and we'll have more information on that going forward. All right, Lance, you said a lot of great things. Um, uh, just real quick, um, two things you mentioned I think are worth underscoring. Um, you said right now we're about 192% um, above the uh, sort of typical typical standard DV, uh, the exponential trend, right? right. Um, and it's that highly stretched rubber band, right? It's, it's never been stretched to this extreme before. So we'd imagine a big snapback. I just want to compare that to the similar story that the classic Buffett indicator tells as well, right? Market cap to GDP. Mm -hmm. That's, I don't know what the current uh, number is because the markets have come down a little bit, but it's about I'm sure it's still above 200%, right? And, yeah. and up until a couple, you know, a year or so ago, it never even been anywhere close to that, right? It's it's yeah. it's at a similar distortion. So we got lots of important indicators telling us, you know, it's probably some big reversion is going to happen at some point in time. Wait, wait, um, before, but, wait, real yeah. quick, before you jump off the Buffett indicator, I, you know, 
this is one that gets thrown around a lot. And it's a truly very, very important indicator that most people, I don't think, really understand what it's saying. And what, what the indicator is comprised of, of course, is this, is this is Warren Buffett's favorite indicator. It's market capitalization, which is the price of the stock market times the number of shares that are outstanding market capitalization. So that gives you your total market cap of the market uh, versus economic growth. So if I've got you know, dollars worth of market cap and dollars worth of GDP, then I've got a market cap to GDP ratio of one. Okay. Right. It, it's sort of error, but it's, it's sort of like the PE ratio of the entire market, right? Correct. Now, here's the important thing about this, and this is what most people understand. Where does the sales and earnings of companies come from? Comes from what you and I spend in the economy. So, Adam, you and I, we go buy a new car, we go buy a house, we go buy groceries, and we go buy gas. Our consumption, 70% of GDP is consumption. It's what we're spending. So when you think about market cap to GDP, it's important because that's what is generating the sales and revenue. That activity, the, the economic activity is what's generating the sales and revenue, which happens at the top line of the balance sheet for or the income statement for stocks and companies like Apple. You know, and then we go through all the maturations of, of that to generate the bottom line EPS. So now we're doing stock buybacks, accounting gimmicks, cookie jarring reserves, all these type of things to create these, these large EPS numbers. And we go, wow, Apple's so, so val, you know, great. You know, look at their earnings per share. It's awesome. They, and we talked about this last week. They bought back half a trillion dollars worth of shares to generate those bottom line earnings. Their top line revenue, about 11% a year. It's, it's not huge. But if you go back historically, back to 1900, the capital appreciation of the markets and the growth of the economy both run relatively close to about 6%. And that's what you would expect. You would expect that the, the growth of the markets and the growth of the economy are about equal. And that's why market cap to GDP is so important, because those should have a correlation, because economic growth is what generates the sales and revenues for companies. So they should be correlated to some degree. You now have stocks trading two and a half times more than what the economy is generating. That's why that indicator is so important. It's also why price to sales at three times the highest level ever in history for an index is so abnormal. We should not have a price to sales ratio on an entire index of three for something that should be closer to one. And you know these these all suggest the same thing, which is that future returns are going to be very very low for for investors. All right, um, great that you really lay that out there for folks, Lance. Um, all right, so real quick, and I'm, I'm talking quickly because I uh, want to make sure we stick to our time limit this week because we kind of blown through it the past couple of weeks. We'll try our best, folks. There's so much to talk about. There is so much to talk about, um, but we've got that that um, retracement to the mean risk mm -hmm. that that you've just very eloquently. Um, uh, elaborated there. Um, you mentioned buybacks for a moment, right? And how sort of without buybacks, the market would basically be valued at about half what it is today, right? And if the Fed indeed is going to be hiking interest rates, um, it's been those rock bottom interest rates, that super duper cheap debt that has fueled a lot of companies' ability to go out and, and buy their shares. And so that's going to place a depressive uh, force on buybacks. And so, you know, one of these things that's been driving the market so much may actually now, you know, really start uh, uh, receding. So that's going right. to just be interesting to see what happens. Um, and then last, I wanted to underscore, I, I was going to bring up the Grantham uh, post, but you, you already did. Um, 
And folks who aren't aware of Jeremy Grantham, he is another very venerated, longtime successful investor, sort of like uh, Warren Buffett. Um, and he basically, he's been warning about a big sort of 50% correction in the markets. And he kind of recently just doubled down on that and said, the sell-off has started. And what I just want to underscore for folks that um, if he is right, and I would never bet against Jeremy Grantham, um, but uh, you know what he didn't, he's not a trader. So he's not saying like, today is the day the sell-off is happening. He's talking more on a trend side of things. So for people that heard Grantham and you know, e immediately translate that into, oh, well, then stocks are going to tank right now, um, even though they have today, actually, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to tomorrow. And any sort of trend of the market doesn't happen all at once in a straight line. It takes a path. So Lance is doing a very important function here by letting us know, hey, within a trend, markets can get oversold and undersold. And so, you know, basically, I just want to make sure, Lance, yeah. that what you're saying to folks here is, is in the short term, in the very short term here, things look like they have a high potential to be oversold. And we probably are going to see some correction to the upside at some point here. And if I heard you right, you said, given your longer term outlook of the market, you're going to look at that as an opportunity to maybe start unloading some positions at higher prices than today. Did I get all that right? Yeah, that's right. Look, and this is about money management, right? Risk management is that, you know, just because if I said, look, Adam, we're about to have a 50% correction in the markets. Now, if it doesn't happen tomorrow, Everybody goes, well, he was wrong. So I'm not going to listen to him anymore, right? Because he, he, he said there's going to be 50% correction. And it didn't happen. We are going to have, now I'll put myself on a limb. We are going to have a 50% correction. I have no idea when, right? And so when it happens, we have to, to understand that that risk is there and we need to be managing the portfolio for it. So as a, as a risk manager, as a portfolio manager, here's, here's the way I approach this. Again, Everything I tell you here is just how I do stuff. Um, I've been managing money for 30, 35 years now. So it's just my habits. Um, everybody does it differently. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. Unless you just lose money every day, then that's the wrong way. Um, but you know what we're going to do is that as we have this rally, we're very concerned about where the market is right now. We're very concerned about the Fed tightening. We're very concerned about the headwinds this year. You've got lack of liquidity. You've got slowing economic growth. Earnings are too high. They're going to have to come down. In fact, they're already starting to reverse. Uh, lots of headwinds to the valuations of the markets and the underpinning. So on a rally here, we're going to start selling off and reducing risk in the portfolios. We've already set a lower allocation to equity risk for this entire year. Our portfolio allocation will be less than full all year long at this current level. Um, now, if we get back to the 50-day moving average and the market breaks above that, and we have lots of signs that you know the economy is starting to grow strongly, and the Fed has now become more dovish, and they're um, you know going to keep interest rates maybe at half a percent, they're not going to go up more than that. You know, there's a lot of things that can change. We talked about this last week. Is that you know you can't be married to something in a market because markets change every day. You can't be, you know, stagnant in a dynamic market. So you've got to evolve and change your strategy with the markets. And so if the markets, if we reduce risk and then the markets turn into a more bullish mode, fine, I'll take the cash that we have sitting on the sidelines and I'll put it back to work in the markets. Yes, I will underperform the markets by some small measure. But if the markets go down, that, that less risk I have in the markets is going to allow me to protect capital and I'll perform better than the market. And that's, that's all fine and dandy. 
you know, getting this whole idea, and this drives me crazy every year, people write these articles like active fund managers underperform the indexes. Who cares? Did you make money? Yeah. Awesome. Good. Let's go and make some more money down the road next year. The trick is not losing so much money that you spend 6, 12, 18, 24, 36, 48, 60 months getting back to even and destroying a big chunk of your time horizon, getting ready to retire. And if you're four or five years from retirement, you don't have that ability. So, you know, for us, and we're managing retirement money for individuals, we manage 401ks, family offices, those type of things. The, the, the idea of losing 40 or 50% of somebody's money just is, is not something that can be considered. So we have to be more cautious and more careful. And, and, you know, it works out over time. Some years we have some great return years like last year. This year may not be a, a year where we make such big returns, but our, our principal will be safe. And that's more important to us. Yeah, well, so, you know, viewers know, recently you and your firm became one of Wealthy Aunt's endorsed financial advisors. It's the risk management part of that that really was the biggest factor in the decision. You know, you guys are quality guys, extremely trustworthy, have a good track record in terms of performance. Um, but it's it's the fact that you bring risk management into every decision you make that, that is a hugely important factor for us in that decision. Um, all right, great. Well, look, trying to wrap this up. Um, uh, any Sorry. particular trades that you guys did this week that are worth noting in terms of you know how you're you're reallocating things based upon the, the live action on the ground? Yeah, this is this is going to be really confusing for you. So, starting on Tuesday, we sold off energy, and we sold now again. When I'm talking about selling something, I'm not talking about selling everything. We just we, we had long energy positions that we put on back in December. We had long value positions we put on back in December. So we actually reduced our energy positions and some of our finance positions back to market weight. Um, and just, uh, again, just trying to take some profits off. Um, on Thursday, we were very lucky. We sold our position. We reduced, we cut our positions in Netflix in half, uh, cut our position in Adobe by half. Uh, that's boded well, considering what happened to Netflix on Friday. Um, but now, because the markets are so extremely oversold, um, and we were three and four standard deviations oversold on Friday, after the open on, on Friday, where the market dropped down right at the open, we actually added, see, and this is, we're selling, and now we're adding, right? We actually bought a, a position in the queues just for a technical bounce. And, and the reason we did that is we want to use that bounce. We can add a little bit of, of, of emphasis to our portfolios, make a trade here, add a couple of percentage points of gains to the portfolio, and then we'll take that trade back off as soon as it, as soon as it works through that retracement, take that position back off, book that cash. And that's just a little cushion um, for performance for this year. All right. If great. it works. <laughs> well, whether it does or doesn't, we'll be tracking it here. So we'll find yeah. out soon enough. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, as, as I like to try to do at the end of every one of these things, Lance, um, I like to try to make it personal to folks. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll, first off, I, 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 when I, you were kind of elaborating on your risk management practices there, it made me think, you know, we probably should uh, tackle as a theme on one of these shows kind of common hedging techniques that folks should consider. Um, you mentioned stops earlier. I know you guys did a video on stops earlier this week, um, but uh, I'll let you dial in whatever you want to on, on, the, on the hedging theme here, but I'd like to end on, on, a, on a way that if folks are feeling a little bit nervous about the action this week, maybe some folks are sitting on some losses from today that are now beginning to kind of smart a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, what are some things those folks should consider? Like I know you mentioned that, you know, if we do get a technical bounce here, 
you're going to use that opportunity to kind of lighten up on some risk that maybe you don't feel so comfortable holding today. Right. Is that something that the average investor watching should do as well? Absolutely. Look, I mean, um, if you're long, uh, you know, a lot of these meme stocks that, you know, what we call, there's what we call high beta um, stocks. So, you know, if you're if you're long a lot of these high beta stocks, uh, I you know they some of them started bouncing today. We saw you know Peloton actually after getting absolutely cratered yesterday, it actually bounced today. So there's some speculative buying coming into that stock. That's actually a decent sign. Um, Arc has actually been performing a little bit better here than the markets as of late. That's actually a good sign. And you know, so we may see a little bit of action here where we see some of these kind of high beta stocks get a bounce. Use that as an opportunity to to, to move out of those positions. Uh, this is the type of market, at least over the next year. And again, you know, if the market takes off running, you're going to have to reposition. But you know, moving into this year and with the unknowns of the Fed and everything else, I would certainly look at moving more towards true value. Now, got to be careful when you say value. In fact. In my newsletter this weekend, we're writing about the value trade that's really not the value trade. And it's, it's a function of passive value ETFs that are driving up some of these traditional value stocks, Procter & Gamble, et cetera. They're not value anymore. Procter & Gamble trades at almost four times price to sales. That is not a value stock. Great company, not a value stock. But that's a function of that passive indexing problem. So um, shameless plug here, if you go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, uh, we have a newsletter link. If you click on that newsletter link, you can get our weekly newsletter. But we'll be covering the value trade this weekend, why we reduced exposure to energy. These are the things you want to think about now. That value trade is exceptionally overbought. So we typically begin to see that reverse. So use this rally to clean up some of the value trade, reduce it back on some of these areas. You know, if you if normally you carry a, a 4% position or a 3% position, in your portfolio of some stock and it's now four, trim it back to three. Again, don't go sell everything. That's not risk management. That's not asset management. That's just trading. Um, reduce things back. And again, you, know, you and I talked about, we're gonna have our conversation about why investing is like gardening eventually. So you know, trim these things back, harvest some of your profits, rebalance some of your risk and think about bonds. Bonds are performing a lot better over the last couple of days. They're extremely oversold. And at this point, you've got a big short position on bonds. We could see a very good rally in bonds coming up here. And, and again, I'm still betting that I think this is going to be a year we see bonds outperform stocks in terms of total return. All right. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, thanks so much, Lance. Really look forward to getting in deep in the macro side of the markets with you tomorrow at the conference. Yep. Um, look forward to doing this again, too, next week at the usual Saturday time. Um, and everybody else, thanks for watching.